Well, briefly, I'm going to just talk about the ministry of the Spirit. And uh, I can't get into uh, a lot of the ministry of the Spirit. I'll probably only maybe touch on a couple of points of it. This really uh, is a very lengthy series that you could do. And it would take weeks to delve in and really get into everything. You have three chapters of the book of John, 14, 15, and 16, that deal with when he's going to pour out his spirit. And she dealt with a lot of it tonight. Uh, and it's kind of linked. Uh, the spirit and love are very closely linked. So uh, I wouldn't doubt that we'll probably be stepping on each other's toes uh, tonight and tomorrow. Uh, we're going to read from Isaiah 61. Turn to that. First, I'm going to go through a few little details and, and points that about the spirit that we already know and we've been educated on. And we'll re review kind of uh, what we've been taught over the years. And then we'll go into a little deeper territory with it. All right, number one, we know that the Spirit grants us entrance into the kingdom of God. You can write this down. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. We also know that it is by the Spirit that the church will be raptured. It is the power of the Spirit that will be able to transform our bodies. Even if we go through the grave, it is His Spirit that will raise us up. And those that are alive and remain, it is the Spirit that will transform those that are alive and remain. Romans 8 and 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now, these two points that I just brought out, the entrance into the kingdom and the culmination of your salvation. But I want to explore tonight, what do we do with the spirit or rather, what does the spirit do for us in between Pentecost and Perusia? Perusia being the rapture, the catching away of the saints. We know that it's the spirit that baptizes and we know that it's the spirit that's going to catch us away. But, but there's the interval between that we want to deal with. What are we to do with the spirit? All right, consider the interval between birth and death of a child. Child is born. We have many doctors and the medical profession. They labor and get their education. We have people that specialize just in childbirth. Then we have people that specialize. We have those heart surgeons and, and those various ones who deal with the death process. So we have the birth process and we have the death process. Uh, but we want to know what do we do in between that? All right. So there's some names uh, that, the Holy, that the Bible gives the Holy Spirit. You can write some of these down if, if you've never heard. Number one, it's the Spirit of God. The spirit of your father. The spirit of Christ. And that really is not the spirit of the person Christ, but the spirit of the anointing. And that's what we're going to deal with a lot tonight. Spirit of his son. The spirit of the Lord God. Another comforter. The spirit of truth. The spirit of wisdom. Spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the Holy Ghost is able to counsel you, and he's also able to give you counselors, because the Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's what? Safety. All right, he's the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit Spirit of the fear of the Lord, or what she just mentioned, the spirit of reverence, the spirit of worship. The spirit of judgment. The spirit of burning. The spirit of grace. The spirit of promise. 
the spirit of holiness, the spirit of life, the oil of gladness, and the spirit of eternity. All right, so the Holy Ghost is able to do all this for us. Lead us to God. Be our Father. Anoint us. Give us sonship. Sit him on the throne of our hearts as Lord God. He comforts us. He does all these things. Gives us knowledge, might, and counsel. Gives us a, a, a burning in our spirit. Where Jeremiah says, it's just like fire shut up in my bones. He's able to give me grace when, when I can't bear the, the test and the burden that I'm under. He's able to give me grace to be able to, to bear it up to where people can look at you. And, and the Bible says that we have a love that is beyond understanding. People don't know how a God could love you so much to where you're able to stand so much to the point to we don't sorrow as those that have no hope. But in our sorrow, God's able to give us a comforter. All right. So what the spirit does Number one, he validates the redemptive plan for man. <clears throat> he validates the redemptive plan for man. John 16, verses 8 through 11 says, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and ye see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now Christ said, I did not come to judge the world. But here he says that when the Holy Ghost comes, it's going to reprove the world of these three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now these are not presented to us in the Holy Ghost in a negative manner. They're not coming to condemn us. These are given to us in hope because of what he's planning to do with his redemptive plan. Going to the cross, the blood. These three things are what happens when the blood is applied. Sin is exposed and covered in your life. He imparts righteousness to you. And then he, he, he announces judgment on your adversary, the devil, right here on earth. Not after the rapture, but the devil has been judged already in your life. All right. He guides us into truth and reveals secrets. John 16, 13 says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. Okay, hold on to that term, all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear. That shall he speak and he will show you things to come. OK, next, the Holy Spirit glorifies and testifies of Jesus. 16 and 14, St. John, he shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Next, in St. John 14 and 20, and she read it earlier, he grants us knowledge of the indwelling. At that day, you shall know that I am in the, my father and ye in me and I in you. See what happened when Jesus went into the holy of holies and he ascended and he rose from the dead. And he said, don't touch me because I have not ascended to my father yet. According to the Old Testament, he was taking the blood that appeased God's holiness and he was going to sprinkle it on the mercy seat in heaven. Okay, now when the priest, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year, the children of Israel, who all brought their own sacrifices, every household brought their own sacrifice. They presented that to Aaron and the priesthood, and Moses took that blood and sprinkled into the mercy seat. But what I can only imagine the nervousness they had because the high priest. They didn't know because if you went in there and God didn't accept your sacrifice, you would die. Some believe that they tied a rope around the high priest as he went in. Others believe 
that to know that he was alive, he had bells around the bottom of his robe so that they can still hear him moving. So uh, they had no idea what would become of Moses as he went in there until he came out. Okay, so this is what Jesus is addressing here. We don't have to wait for him to come back for the church to know that he loves us. The spirit testifies already that he is in God's presence and that the blood was efficacious for you and I. All right. Next, it grants us or teaches us all things and helps our what I call amnesia. St. John 14 and 26 says, but the comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom, I, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things, and then he'll bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So not only does he teach us all things, but everything that he taught us in the past, he brings that back to our mind. How many ever been in a situation where you were, were talking to somebody and something reflected in your mind and God brought that back and you, you thought you had forgot it? Could have been years ago. Next, it allows us to touch people with the love of God. This is one of the most miraculous things about the Holy Ghost. Because remember, Jesus came to save the world. He died for the sins of the world. Romans 5 and 5 says, Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad. In our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So the Holy Ghost starts within you and then dispenses outward. Next, the Holy Ghost dispenses gifts to his body. Ephesians 4 and 8 says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men and that was the gift of the fivefold ministry in Ephesians 4 but in 1 Corinthians 12 4 through 7 he says now there are all kinds of gifts diversities of gifts but the same spirit and there are differences of administrations but the same Lord and there are diversities of operations but the same God which worketh all in all but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now we think in the church that God gives this one a gift and gives that one a gift and that one over there a gift. And we think it's scattered throughout the building. But First Corinthians says that every person in the church has a gift. He doesn't even say that about the fivefold ministry because he uses the word some in the fivefold ministry. He gave some apostles. He gave some prophets, he gave some evangelists, he gave some pastors, and he gave some teachers. But when it comes to the Holy Ghost in the Bible, he gave everybody a gift. So my admonition to you is to go into 1 Corinthians 12 and find out what your gift is. Because I guarantee you there's a gift if you haven't been using it, you're sitting on it. And if you're sitting on it, you're affecting somebody else's deliverance. Now, Isaiah 61. This is one of my favorite scriptures. The spirit of the Lord God, I'm reading from the Living uh, Bible Translation. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the suffering and afflicted. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. To announce liberty to the captives. Not to liberate the captives, but to let the captives know that they're already free. And to open the eyes of the blind. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of God's favor to them has come. And the day of his wrath to their enemies has come as well. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of heaviness, for God has planted them like strong and graceful oaks for his own glory. This is why Christ came. The Lord God has anointed me. 
This is not a position that was given to him by an earthly king, an earthly prophet. But the Lord God Almighty set this special anointing on the son in order to bring all these things about. So he gives us joy instead of mourning and praise instead of heaviness. Okay, now, Exodus 30, verse number 22. Okay, we're going to read a bit tonight, if that's okay. All right, verse number 22. Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of a sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of Cacia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of the isle of oil and hen. And thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary. It shall be a holy anointing oil, and thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all his vessels, and the candlestick, and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings with all his vessels, and the laver, and his foot. And thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy. Whatsoever toucheth them shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Here he is taking us to Isaiah 61. The priest is going to be able to fill that position. All right. We are the Christ of God. All right. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. All right. So this is going to last. This is not temporary. The tabernacle was temporary. But this divine order of God's anointing would not be temporary. It still stands today. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. Neither shall ye make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy. It's separated. It's sanctified. And it shall be holy unto you. Whosoever compoundeth any like it or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger shall even be cut off from his people. All right. Now let's deal with this. Number one, this oil, this anointing oil was to be one of a kind. Not only that, but careful attention had to be given to the making of this oil. He tells Moses to make it in the same way that a professional perfume maker would make his ointment. How he mixes certain ointments together. An ointment in the Old Testament really was medication. They, they mix certain things together for medication. Uh, Don Brown sent me an email not too long ago dealing with the healings of when you combine cinnamon and honey. So, so these things, these natural ingredients are able to heal. Amen. And who better to, to put all the right ingredients together in their right measurements than God himself? This is what he's telling Moses. If you want to be healed, if you want to be touched with the anointing that I want to pour out upon you, you got to do it this way. This is why it, it's such a burden on my heart that we've lost worship because that was such a key to the entrance into God's kingdom and his presence. All right. So he tells Moses, you got to make it like the perfume maker would. But when it comes down to it, Moses wasn't the one who created this oil. You have a man in your Bible by the name of Bezalel. He was the one that made the oil. Now, his specialty was not in oil making. He was not a perfume maker. His specialty was in metal, wood, and stone. Okay? Metal, which represents a lot of times deity. 
Gold represents deity. Silver represents redemption. Bronze represents God's judgment. Wood represents mankind, humanity, flesh. And stone deals with the kind of heart we have. This is the man that made every piece of furniture in the tabernacle. One man made it. And after he made it, he anointed it. What that says to you and I is God, the creator of us, the same one that created us is the same one that's going to anoint us. And he's got he's he's a master. With metal. He's a master with wood. He's a master with stone. He said, I'll take your stony heart out and give you a heart of flesh. But listen. Do you know what his name means, Bezalel? His name means in the shadow of God. Under the covering of God. Now I'm going to deal with that tomorrow. He also had assistant, an assistant whose name was Aholiab. But his name means my father's tent. So here you have under the covering of God, if anything is going to be anointed in our lives, it has to be under the covering of God, in the shadow of the Almighty. All right. So the same oil anointed the entire plan of God. They made enough oil to anoint everything in there. The tent, the ark, the showbread, the menorah, the altar of incense, the brazen labor, the brazen altar, and the priest. Everything that was in God's house was anointed. So this oil was so potent that anyone that touched anything that this anointing oil was going to be poured out upon would be forever changed. They would be holy. And my question is, if we claim to have all of the power of God, all of the authority of God in his name, if we have uh, all of these things uh, that God has given us and we, we boast about them. How are folk not affected when they know us so well? How can they touch us and not be holy? How can they touch us and not be encouraged? How could they come in our presence and stay depressed? This would be the only oil throughout the generations that God would recognize. This oil was not to be poured Upon, listen, he said, this oil cannot be poured upon the flesh of man. Isaiah 42 and 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. How dare us take God's glory and dump it into a man? I heard one preacher say, some folk. He, he, he said that some pastors need to take a break and look down at their feet and make sure that their feet are not being overlaid with gold by the people. Just take a minute. Look at your feet and see if folk are glorifying you more than they're glorifying God. Because we live in a day where charisma is very, it's the key factor of church. Personalities. The whole reason for the book of Corinthians being written was because folks were into personalities. This preacher don't preach like that preacher. And that preacher don't do what this one does. Paul says we're all gifts. You know that a man that was born in the church is not going to be able to go out and, and, and usually touch the life of somebody that was raised in the streets all their life. That's why I thank God for some of our ministers that were saved in gangs, been in prison, because they're able to go out because they've been there. It's easy for you to say you, you need to come out of drugs when, when you ain't never hit the pipe. It's easy. All right. Next, he says in Romans 1 and 23, they changed the glory of God, of the uncorruptible God, and made it into an image made like unto what? Corruptible man. God never set 
up the ministry. He never set up the prophet. He never set up the apostle. He never set up the evangelist. He never set any of these people up for you to depend upon them to get you into God's presence. You have the Holy Ghost. They can exhort. They can teach. They can instruct. But God speaks to you. He said about the Holy Ghost, I and the Father will come and abide in you. And when we abide in you, then we have instant communication and you can ask me whatever you want. And I'm going to give it to you. Next, they were not to make a generic of this oil. God designed this holy anointing oil for his glory. Leviticus 9. In Leviticus 9, God told Moses exactly what to do because he wanted to appear to his people. Do you know that every time that God did something miraculous in the presence of his people, he came to them beforehand and set them up? He told them in Leviticus 9, I want to appear to my people. I don't want to talk through you. I want to come in there and sit down in the worship. Now, since I'm coming, here's what you need to do. Then he laid it out for them. One, two, three, four, five. And when they did it, the Bible says that the, the presence of the Lord came in there. And next thing you know, everybody was on their face. See, when God really steps in the room, I think I said this is the last one. Nobody needs to say, I feel God in this place. Because when God steps in there, there's nothing else for you to do. When the Ark of the Covenant came back into their presence, the glory of the Lord, the cloud filled them. And he said they couldn't stand to minister. So when God comes in the, in the house, there is no ministry. There's no singing. There's no playing of the organ and the keyboards and the drums. When God really gets in the place... There's nothing to assist him. Because he's all sufficient. But we think we can help God. We think we can help God break somebody through. But it's already in you. See, the difference between David and Saul was that Saul had to be anointed. With the oil. But when they anointed David, David already had it in him. David already had the anointing in him. So he says in Leviticus 9 and 6, and Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded that ye should do. And here's the result. And the glory of the Lord shall appear unto you. The glory of the Lord shall appear unto you. But this is what you got to do. We cannot afford to offer strange fire to God. In chapter 10, the priest's sons, the pastor's kids, the PKs. Listen, the same PKs that in chapter 9 brought all of the sacrifices to their father and God accepted it they were in the church with the true anointing and God accepted it folks were being delivered folks were being healed the glory of the Lord was there but they decided just one chapter later we're going to try to conjure up our own anointing we're not going to do it like daddy did it last chapter we ain't going to do what the Lord told Moses but I think, you know, you really don't have to do it that way. You really don't need the Holy Ghost. You really don't, you know. It's all right. To, you, you live in sin. God knows your heart. You, it's okay. But the Bible says in, in Acts that the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them that obeyed him. So there was obedience working before the baptism of the Holy Ghost ever came. So just one chapter later, 
They took their own sacrifices and offered up strange fire to the Lord. In other words, they mixed their own oil. We're going to mix our own oil. I know just the right beat, just the right bass line to play, to get the crowd going. We're going to make up our own anointing. And this is what's going on in churches all across the country. Bucking and shouting, music roaring. And God's sitting back going. And the Bible says, now, the, now, just before God had devoured the sacrifice that they laid out and the glory had appeared and they all fell on their faces. I would venture to say that these two probably didn't fall on their face. Lamb, chapter one, verse number one. So what happens is God sends a different kind of fire. See, there's a fire that's accepting and that would not burn you up. That's why he says, I'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. But there's another fire that would devour you when you don't please God. May not kill you physically, but spiritually, you will be frustrated, confused. You'll be depressed and not knowing what is going on. It's because you were offering strange fire. It's time to get back to the pattern that God gave us in the book. Lord, I want that real anointing oil. The real one. The one that you said would, would definitely usher in your presence. And there went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Hmm. So this oil was not for a stranger, but only for those who were a part of God's chosen people. Now, now look, Psalm 133. I'm not going to, unity is a whole different thing, but this is really what 133 is talking about. But I want to get verse 2. Uh, but I'll, I'll read verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head ran down upon the beard even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment now when we read about it it didn't say how the oil was applied see we do the little cross on the forehead or we dap a little dot on your forehead but the bible says that in psalm 133 he poured it on him See, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the baptism in water is an immersion. But the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a pouring out. In other words, it's not stagnant. If you're in a body of water, there's nothing to flow. You're just in a body of stagnant water. But when something's being poured, there's a, there's, there's a path for that oil to flow through. So it chooses direction. And that direction is down. The direction is humility. It's going to come down. It doesn't go up. It goes down. So it ran from his head, then down to his beard. Then down his entire, his entire garment was soaked with this special ointment from God. And I can imagine how good it smelled because it had cinnamon in it. Had all these calamus. I can only imagine the smell. What is God smelling when we praise and worship God? Really, what is he smelling? Because he gave them the oil that he knew would smell good to him. I know how I like my steak. I can't go to any restaurant because they don't cook it right. I know how I like it. And when I order it, I want it just the way I want it and you can send it, you can take it back. And that's what God says. It's either, the, it's either my way right away or you're going to hit the highway. He has that right. He is, after all, the king of glory. So the oil of the Holy Ghost is not something that hovers, but it flows. It has a starting point and from there flows like a river through the path of least resistance. So he's waiting for you to say, Lord, I just surrender. I just want you to crush me under your anointing. 
It was said of Paul that it was hard to kick against the pricks. This expression is derived from the action of a stubborn and unyielding ox kicking against the gold. The gold was a sharp stick that they used on the farm where they would poke the animal to urge him. It was an urging. They didn't drag him. See, see, the, the devil is a hard taskmaster, but the Holy Ghost comes and leads and guides us. It urges us. But when we kick up against it, we find out that it's got a hard point on it. We find out the hard way when we resist the Holy Ghost. It comes to denote an obstinate and refractory disposition and course of conduct, conduct resisting the authority of him who has a right to command and opposing the leadings of providence to the injury of him who makes the resistance. It denotes rebellion against lawful authority and thus getting into greater difficulty by attempting to oppose the commands to duty. So like the last time, stay on that potter's wheel. Stay in his hand. Don't resist the shape that he's forming you into. And a lot of us don't like it because folk chide us. You go into that thirsty retreat. What's wrong with you? All you got to do is just pray. We hear this. That's the blessing, highly favored crowd. How you doing? Instead of saying I'm struggling and I'm hurting and I'm going through and I'm blessed and highly favored. So stay in the fire until all the dross has come out. It is the anointing that breaks and then ultimately destroys the yoke. The more we dilute Christ, the more intact our yokes will stay. Like she said, if you run from that love, if you resist that love, if you refuse to be restrained or constrained by that love, then your yokes are going to stay intact. And you can testify all you want. You can, he's coming in a Honda all you want, and Ikamahana all you want. But you're still shackled. And the, and, and, and the visible church has become the most dishonest place I know. I have sometimes a greater respect for folks from the street. I grew up in the hood. At least you know where they coming from. I know what you really about. But in the church, we don't know. We, you say one thing and do another. I don't know. So to us, I read from, from a book on the spirit, to us the answer to this question is most obvious. It was not the earthly Christ whom the Holy Ghost was to communicate to the church, but it was the heavenly Christ. The Christ reinvested with his eternal power, reclothed with the glory which he had with the Father before the world was, and resupplied with the infinite treasures of grace which he had purchased by his death on the cross. So this Holy Spirit, it communicates to us the risen Christ. He is no longer the Christ that grows in wisdom and stature. He is no longer the Christ that hungered. He was no longer the Christ that is tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Now it's us to tempt Christ. See, there's, there's one thing about sacrifice. First of all, God, there's some things that we freely give up to Christ. But when we come and say, Lord, I've given you everything. But you really held back something. Peter said, what made you think that you could lie to the Holy Ghost? How could you tempt God like that? Struck them dead, both of them. The Holy Ghost that we have is no longer the Christ who once received strengthening by the Holy Ghost. I mean, by the holy angels. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that angels came and ministered to him. 
No longer the Christ who said, I thirst. But the Christ that is in us is the Christ which is glorified. The Christ who said, all power is given unto me. The Christ who snatched the keys from the devil to his own king. Do you know that the devil doesn't even have the keys to his own kingdom? The Lord took them. And he took them, he embarrassed them so bad that the Bible says in Ezekiel and Isaiah that every stone that he was clothed with, he snatched that from them and then he put it on the gates of heaven. That's what they did in the Bible. They would take the precious stones from the kingdom that they just subdued and they would bring it home and put it on their walls and say, this is the kingdom that I just took down. So there ought to be some things on our walls, y'all, that we've conquered, that we've got over, not struggling with, but that God has really given us the victory over. This is the Christ that we that we have in us. He walked through locked doors. Nobody could shut him out. Whatever the Lord says is going to happen is going to happen. This is the Christ to and from which the Holy Ghost appeals for God and man. There can be no failure in this mediation. So Philippians says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do. You got to will it and do it. He's able to affect your will. What you didn't will before, he's able to touch you and you start wondering, why do I want to read the Bible so much now? What, what is this, this hungering I'm having? What's, why am I feeling that something's missing? You got to listen to that still small voice when you're not satisfied. He says, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in the glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. That's the thing that changes you to give him his reflection back. So what is the purpose of the tabernacle? What was, what was and I'm asking y'all, what, what was the purpose of the temple, the tabernacle? Hmm? Where God's spirit dwells, what else? Prayers, house of prayer, sacrifices, repentance, keep going. All of these are in there. But he told us, get Exodus 25 and 8. And as you're getting that, here we see. The problem with the Garden of Eden, she mentioned the, the, the angel with the flaming sword and how God had to drive them out of the garden. That means that they were struggling to stay. They were struggling to stay. But when God says Ichabod over something, you can't press your way into You can't pray. You can't shout hard enough for God to come back. You can't snot and cry enough. Once he pronounces Ichabod, he drove them out and they wanted to stay. Lord, but I'm sorry. He said, no, I told you. This is the consequence for your action. All right. Exodus 25 and 8. What does it say? Let's read it together. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Later in the verse, he says, Moses, when you build the Ark of the Covenant and you build all this stuff, he said, I want, there's a special place I want you to build for me. It's called the Holy of Holies. And that place is going to be separated by a curtain. And he says, when you come into there, he said, that is the place where I will commune with you. 
That is the place where we're going to talk and have ourselves some conversations. I'm going to reveal you the secrets of my heart. I'm going to let you know what it takes to please me. So there he would meet Moses. He would commune with Moses. He would reveal his law to Moses. And do you know what the people said when he came out? We don't want God to speak to us. His voice is too mighty. Wow. Last two points. Now the Bible says that God does not dwell in temples that are made with hands. But he says that your body, your body is the temple, the tabernacle of the Lord, of the Holy Ghost. That means Every piece of furniture in the tabernacle correlates with some part of your makeup. What part of me is the altar of incense? What part of me is the table of the showbread? What part of me is the curtain, the veil? What part of me is, is, is the entrance of the holy of holies? What part of me is the labor of the washing? So I will deal with a couple. Your body is the outer court. And in the outer court, the two things that were out there were brazen, which means that God has to deal with judgment first. See, judgment begins where? At the house of God. Not in the house of God. At. Not quite in there yet. Just at the door. And God's dealing with your heart. And here is where they bring the sacrifice and the priest lays his hand. He told him, lay your hand on the sacrifice. Touch him. Why? Because the priest was anointed, remember? With that special ointment. And he says, anything that touches you is going to be holy. So bring your animalistic self your flesh and allow the priest of God to lay his hand on it. When he laid his hand on it, the next thing he did was took a knife and slit his throat. So whatever it is that you're bringing that sin offering for, whatever it is you bring it before the altar of the Lord, God's going to cut the throat of it. If it's depression, God is going to cut the throat of depression. If it's envy, God is able to cut the throat of envy. If it's hatred, God is able to slit the throat of hatred. It's got to die. He's able to do it. Doubt, fear, anger, wrath, malice, fornication, homosexuality. There's nothing too big for God's brazen altar. The outer court. Then after that, you go to the altar. And you say, Lord, I'm all bloodied up from this depression. I'm all bloodied. I don't know if I could take any more. It looks like I've been in a, in a 15-round heavyweight bout. You know that sometimes you can't, if you look at the fighters, you really can't tell who won the fight. Sometimes both of them bloodied up. I remember getting a fight with my best friend. I don't know who won the fight that day. We both went home crying. Both of us hollering. <laughs> but I'm so bloodied up. The next thing he says is, I want you to stop by the, let me wash you up now. Stop on by the laver. Be washed by the washing of the water, by the word. Next, he deals with your soul, which is the holy place. And it is in your soul, in your soul. There's three pieces of furniture in there. The candelabra, the altar of incense, and the table of the showbread. It is there where you have to commune with God. You have to eat his word. Amen. And then you have to offer up sweet-smelling praises to him. And it has to smell good. And then next, he deals with your spirit. The holy of holies. 
the place where he is able to sit on the seat of your affections. And everything that you do, you say, Lord, I'm laying it before you first. So he gave us a divine transfer. Last scripture, John 20. Here's the transfer. John 20, verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive the Holy Ghost. Say, Lord, I want to work in your kingdom. I want to do, I want to be a representative of you. I want to be a reflection of you. He says, let the Holy Ghost work. Don't do it on your own. Don't make up some different kind of oil. There's no generic. Some drug companies, the generic companies have to wait for that pattern to expire. But Jesus, God told Moses, this is going to last throughout all generations. There, there, this pattern will never expire. So nobody will be able to make a generic anointing. You can't do it. There's nothing like the presence of God. The genuine presence of God. The real anointing is what God wants to show us. And remember that gift in 1 Corinthians 12. You need to find that so the Holy Ghost can operate through you. Because he transferred Isaiah 61 when he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he laid all those things out. That was transferred to you. You're supposed to be the one dealing with these people now. You're the Christ of God. Amen. I'm done. God bless you. We would like to go before his presence and seek his face tonight before we go to bed. We're going to join hands and we're going to pray. And then we'll seek God in our own way after that. And then we'll be dismissed. And it's always good to pray for one another. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come before you tonight. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for the plan and the design of your true anointing. Lord, we don't want to come making up our own anointing, but we want to truly experience your glory. We want to truly experience your presence. Lord, we ask that you would renew our minds, change the way we think about you. Change our expectations of you. Remove doubt and fear out of the way, Lord, that we might be able to have a clear path to you. In the name of Jesus, as we touch hand in hand and faith touching faith. Hallelujah, you designed it, Lord, that we should pray for one another and forbear one another. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your anointing would be released in this house tonight. Hallelujah. Deal with my sister, my brother. In the name of Jesus, show your way to them, Lord. Prove your love to them, Lord. Hallelujah. Give them blessed assurance, Lord, that you're theirs. Lord, that you love them. Lord, that you want to anoint them, Lord, and reveal even the secrets of your heart to them. Hallelujah, Lord. Whatever it may be, Lord, we bring it upon your altar. And we ask, oh God, that you would take the knife of the spirit and slit the throat of everything that is contrary to you. Everything that has come to pervert your will in our lives, Lord, we renounce it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Satan, the Lord God rebuke you. You have no place here. You have no authority here. In the name of Jesus, Lord, cover us with your anointing. Lord, cause us, O oh God, to be like Bezalel, Lord. Shadow, overshadow us, Lord, with your presence, with your love, Lord. Let healing virtues flow in the mind, in the spirit, in the body, in the soul, Lord. Affect every part of our being in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, do it, Lord. I pray for my sister, Lord. I pray for my brother. That you would loose them. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Abolish every hindrance, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we press, Lord. Pour out your anointing oil upon us, Lord. Cause it to affect those around us. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, we lay it on the altar, Lord. We lay it on the altar. Hallelujah. We lay it on the altar. Hallelujah. Lord, that after you slay it, that you would burn it up. Cause it to go into ashes. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Ah, glory. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes. Ah, glory. In the name of Jesus. Ah, glory. Holy. Holy. Hallelujah. We cry out to you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Mm. Hallelujah. Hover over us, Lord. Sit down on our worship. Ah, glory. Ah, glory. Hallelujah. Ah, glory. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, Lord. We pour out our generic anointing and we make room for the real thing. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. Let God minister to your soul. Hallelujah. Ha, glory. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Yeah, Lord, comfort the broken heart. Comfort the broken heart. He's Ah, glory. Ah, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, your glory. Yes, Lord, show your glory. Show your glory in the name of Jesus. Ah, glory, 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 glory. Let your train fill this place. Let your train fill this place, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Ah, glory, hallelujah. Ah, glory, glory, hallelujah. 